Welcome everyone to Second Star to the Left, a podcast on everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. Uh, with me are my usual co-hosts. I'm Bert. I'm Chris. I'm Katie. This week we're discussing the 2018 Alex Garland film, Annihilation. Your husband's here. Let me see him. He's extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. So this week, I'm going to be honest, I really love this film and I'm really enraptured with it and I have lots to say about it. But I'd love to hear how you all sort of experienced it, maybe for the first time or if this was a film that you've seen before. I honestly was like pretty completely unaware of this movie uh, as kind of embarrassing as that is. Uh, but I'm really, really glad that we watched it for this this episode. I hadn't read the books. I wasn't aware of the movie. I just, what when you, like I had to Google it when you, you told me what movie we were doing this episode because I missed the, the last episode when we were picking the, the movie. Uh, but holy crap, this movie is right up my alley. This is the type of science fiction story that I think, like, I, I'm surprised that this movie got made at all i'm not surprised that it didn't end up getting a theatrical release uh and i'm very happy that i got a chance to watch it and i'm gonna go read the books this now, was 18 so. so i think i watched this for a internet um kind of october thing where we watched a bunch of scary movies i believe that's when i watched it um last year and it was very, very good. I was surprised by how good it was. Um, I didn't actually know it did not have a theatrical release because I didn't pay any attention at the time. But it should have had a theatrical release. Um, it should have probably won awards if it didn't win any. So yeah, um, I enjoyed it. Ended up being a Netflix first release, but it wasn't intended for that. Um, but I guess why? I don't remember exactly this. It's because it was all about women. Four women, main characters. Like, oh, no one's going to like this. Garbage. Due to a poorly received test screening, David Ellison, a financier and producer at Paramount, became concerned that the film was too intellectual and too complicated and demanded changes to make it appeal to a wider audience. Producer Scott Rudin sided with the director, who did not want to alter the film. Rudin, who had final cut privilege, defended the film and refused to take notes from Ellison. And then because of the clashes between the, those two and a shift in Paramount's leadership that was distributed by Netflix rather than through normal cinema channels. So that's that's kind of how that went down. Uh, 
that's the explanation on Wikipedia, and I am confident that the reason it didn't test well with audiences is audiences I have some are thoughts not about that. Bright. But I want to hear what Katie thought about it when she saw it the first time. Um, so I've read all three books before the movie came out. I really liked it for reasons that I'm sure I'll get into um, to discuss. Like I don't want to go too far down the you know this they differ in these ways. Like I still want to keep the same. Uh, topics on theme but um that's sort of why like i watched it because what i knew of the books i was like there's no way that they can make this into a movie that's going to stay true to the adaptation and then when i learned that like they're like no we're not really making a um, an adaptation of the books we're taking like inspiration but it's not a direct interpretation i was like okay well then i'm willing i'm willing to see it then um because so much of the book is the describing the indescribable it's really hard to take that what you're reading and like the slow burn of unease and interpret that visually just because of of the the way that it's going about like describing it so um i wasn't really sure what to expect when i first watched it um i was actually really looking forward to the theatrical release which i think was supposed to be like in february of 2018 and then it got pushed back and then it was like done in the uk first and then i had to wait and then eventually it came out uh later on Netflix, like I do remember, like anticipating watching it when it came out, which I don't do with a lot of movies. I watched it, and I definitely thought that uh, there was parts of me that kind of wanted a little bit more, like pure purity, like as far as some of the themes went. Um, but overall, I really liked it. I really liked the acting. I really liked um, the dream, like nature of it, and like just sort of how they did manage to maintain this this like tone of unease throughout the whole movie and that's not easy to do it definitely it is a horror movie but it didn't feel like a typical horror movie i guess because it didn't try to like insult you with like jump scares a lot although i think there was like a couple in there um but i think most of the horror was was more of that of uh, the uncanny or existential rather than um the typical like we're going to show you body horror stuff. So, yeah, um, I feel like the test audience thing. While yes, probably some of that could be attributed to a cast that is the majority of which is women. I feel like it's it's probably more the case that, especially the ending. I get the feeling probably didn't test well. Although I like the ending a lot, um, and I like the kind of somewhat open-ended nature of things um i just know that like studio execs and test audiences tend to hate that crap um well they hate that quote-unquote crap because i like endings like that but they typically don't go for it so i would i would have thought it had more to do with that but um it's quite possible that you get a film with you know mostly mostly women on the screen for every scene usually talking to each other about things that are not men (laughs) a decent amount of time you know uh there are definitely people who will check out but i don't know it's it's hard to say how much of what is what what makes sense now let's do a brief recap of the plot of the film so it starts featuring um nelly portman as a former army soldier and current biology professor lena um, her husband, estranged, has come back to her after being on a secret mission. What we find out is that he was investigating a place called the Shimmer, which is the result of an asteroid landing near a bay in Florida. Shortly after he comes back, 
she uh, he starts having a, a reaction and uh, nearly dies, and she's recruited by the lead psychologist of the people studying the Shimmer to go on an expedition herself into the Shimmer to find out what happened with him and what's going on there. Um, the Shimmer being a place that multiple expeditions have gone into, but no one has ever returned from. She's part of a four-women, all-women expedition. Five women travel into the Shimmer, where they discover various eccentricities and oddities, such as a alligator with multiple growing rows of teeth, and start to lose their grip on um, what's happening in nature. Several characters are killed by various oddities, one of them being a uh, mutated bear. And um, they begin to discover that the Shimmer is reflecting and refracting their DNA. Eventually, uh, Nellie Portman's character runs across the sort of host or the the main source of the Shimmer herself um, and encounters a doppelganger um, and what happened to her original husband. Presumably, he died um, and a doppelganger of him was the one that returned to her from the Shimmer. Um, At the end of the film, um, we're seen with her being interrogated and asked what happened there Um, And she embraces her doppelganger husband, and we see both a shimmer in their eyes, presumably indicating that she is a duplicate herself. So I'm probably going to talk quite a lot about this, Um, so sorry if I dominate the conversation. Um, Just because there are so many themes that I think are important to address, but also, like, biologically, the source material is obviously, like, someone who knows a lot about... um, like plant biology, uh, ecology. Uh, I think like that's Vandermeer's like thing is like, especially like plants. And uh, with, again, like I'm trying not to do- delve too much into the, the books, but there are three books. Um, so I think it's important to establish that the, again, like the book was sort of, I think Eric, uh, Alex Garland said that he, his interpretation was that like you're taking, he was interpreting the experience of what the books felt like rather than doing a straight source, um, like direct source interpretation of the movie, which makes sense um, when you think about it. But um, so much of why I was drawn into first the books and then why I like the movie uh, is I think not an obvious reason. So I really like um, things when they feel truly sci-fi to me is when we're incorporating linguistics, which in this, in the books, again, was the whole part, the whole point of it was, at least to me, was trying to, how do you convey what makes absolutely no sense, right? So the first book is told from the field journal of the biologist. Um, And in the books, there are no names. Like you only know her as the biologist. She doesn't even have a name. No, No one has a name, they only have titles. Uh, in the first book when she's describing like what's happening. Um, and it's just, it's like reading someone's notes. Like you would try to do like, like, what is happening? Like, what is even going on? What happens when you see something so uncanny, but you don't even have the words to describe it, right? Like that mm-hmm. was the, the, the tone for me was just like the constant uncanny feeling. And I think someone described it as like the ecological uncanny just how like just sort of like um if i could just describe like the books the movie in one word it would just be unsettling right like mm-hmm. it's just something is off something is wrong 
Uh, in the book, she first describes seeing a dolphin in the bay, which she was like, well, that's already a little, you know, a little weird, not great. But specifically seeing that it had human eyes. Like, just, and she was like, that can't be right. Um, so, like, just things like that, just quick glimpses of things that you're like, that's not right. But it's not necessarily, like, horror. Just that uneasy, unnerving part of it. And so I think the movie definitely captured that really, really well from the books was was just the uncanniness of it. That's cool that the books are through the perspective of one of the characters because they let you question the narrator's reliability and that and that introduces that extra level of not being sure what's going on. Whereas in a movie, the primary way of communicating visual interpretations is by showing them to you. And if you know, you can't really have a moment where a character says, like, that dolphin had human eyes, then that's just like, well, you know, you're not telling me the story in the way that you're telling me the story. Like, it's disconnected from how you're actually presented with that information. When you're reading that book, that's the only way you get that information. So you start to, like, everything is doubtful. and, and, And I really appreciate that. Exposition is different. So, like, it's, I should note that the first book is told from the biologist's perspective. The second one is from a different perspective entirely um but it's never like told objectively it's almost always described as like someone's perspective and i'm not going to go into like how it varies because that would just give spoilers are they accounts of the same events like from different perspectives or are they accounts of different events they are they they are linear so you have um the field journal and you don't know when this happened because um you like the time is left kind of vague beyond like basic uh, um, linearity. Like they even they don't even the people who are going on the ex, like the expeditions are like we don't even know what type of technology to bring because we're not sure what's going to work um, in this in area X or the Shimmer. Um, the second one is through is right after what you presume to be the disappearance or the uh, whatever happened with the biologist. And it's told from someone who works in Area X, like the the agency that's overseeing it. And the third one is a combination of, cool. of, of that. Uh, so, Yeah, um, I do think, like Chris said, and I mean, that's all really valuable to know because I, I do feel like, yeah, like if you're writing a book, obviously you, you have to work with words to get images into people's heads. And with a movie, it's like, you know, I mean, you can do dialogue, but most of the time it's like, we're going to show you what you need to see. But I do think, like, they... I feel like the filmmaker did a decent job trying to get this general sense of everything being off in every scene in The Shimmer. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, a pervasive lighting effect that's in every outside, even some inside scenes that are in The Shimmer. Um, it might be some color grading thing. It's the kind of rainbowish. Um mm-hmm. Effect, yeah, but it's it's pretty much everywhere. Um, there's a lot of like little things, not little things, but just atmospheric touches that I don't feel are affecting the plot, but they are definitely like weird, and they kind of make you look at it and go, "What is this?" Um, it's that uncanny thing. So I feel like it's the same. He's trying to do the same thing. It's just with a different medium. So it is kind of. I think it's from what i understand it's it's trying to stay kind of true to the source material without 
you know, doing a, the direct adaptation type of thing. I feel like they're trying to stay... I think he even said that he was trying to stay true to this, like the book's tone more than the um, the what happens in the plot. And right. I think in that case, like in, in that regard, like Eric, uh, Alex, oh my God, I can't want to call him Eric. Alex Carlin definitely nails it because like there is like between like the, the color gradient, like that sort of like dreamy state, but not a dream you want to be in. Right, like it's very much the. No, it's one of those dreams where everything is really confusing and just nothing quite. You do a thing and it doesn't work right, and like the majority of dreams, yeah, that's how yeah. dreams actually are. Yeah, <laughs> the surreal type thing. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, Katie. I'll say from my perspective, the thing that struck me first as I watched it, I'd never seen this before, was the immediate presentation, and this is perhaps something I'll situate myself in. You know, my mom is a cancer survivor, and so. One of the things that struck me in the film was the idea of cancer as aberrant life, life growing out of control. Mm-hmm. Like the very first scene in her as a biology teacher, she's talking about um, a cervical tumor. And I, I was surprised there's a little scene, I don't know if y'all caught this, there's a, um, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks is a book that she's reading in the, one of the bedroom scenes. For those of you who don't know, it's um, a book on sort of a lot of um, genetic testing that we've done have been based on the results of a tumor scraping that we received from a, uh, a black woman, I think in the early 40s or, or mid-50s, who um, her cervical tumor cells have just been incredibly regenerative in terms of what they can um, produce and, and use and develop from. But anyways, this idea of like cancer as, not because we, we tend to think of cancer as a thing that's always malicious or, or malignant and attacks the body. But really what cancer is, is it's cells that are going off in their own way. They're going off in their own direction, not comporting to what the body is supposed to be doing. And I thought of that a lot in the terms of the refraction of what their DNA was going through, that their bodies were changing, life was impacting them, but it was out of their control. And they leaned into that control sometimes. But that was just this idea of cancer and, and a thing that is, Life is uncontrollable. Just stuck with me a lot throughout the film, even to the point of the affair. You know, like that in itself was a an outgrowth, as it were, of their relationship between uh, Kane, Oscar Isaac's character, and Lena, Natalie Portman's character. You know, this affair that seemed to take place while they'd been together and sort of um, had grown out of that something that she didn't like. Um, just this idea of life unchecked, life uncontrolled, life not as we are accustomed to sticks with me a lot from the film. So that's something just like one of the themes that for me really stuck out just as a repeated motif. can't remember. Um, I, I do. I'm getting some, some parts like cross. So let me, in the movie, did the movie explain how everything in that zone had human DNA or am I getting that confused with the I think it kind of... When Tessa Thompson is looking at the plants, I think she's she's talking about how, like, the plants are all going to have human DNA. And she says it, like, ref- it reflects, it refracts us, and we're just... It, it's not explicitly stated like that, but it's definitely the general idea is everything's DNA is just melding together in this area. And it's not so much human DNA specifically. Yeah. So I guess that might be a change from the books. Yeah, I feel like, like, probably... One of the big overriding themes for this movie is, is I mean, it's an existentialist movie. It's kind of like a biologic, 
deeply existential movie. So that that's kind of the take I got was like, um, there's there's a lot of scenes of people in the Shimmer um, having crises of of their existence, but kind of in a way that's like, um, I don't understand how my body works anymore or how I relate to my environment or this universe, <laughs> um, which is. It's an interesting take. I, I can't think of a lot of movies that have that specific take. Um, even like Cronenberg body horror movies are usually focused on other kind of sociological or cultural things as opposed to strictly biological. Um, and that for me was like what the one of the connections to cancer in terms of like how it changes how you relate to your environment. It's cancer is such a fundamental. This is again speaking from my mom's experience, like. Mm-hmm. You know, after uh, she got a bone marrow transplant from uh, one of my aunts, her blood type is different. Her hair is different. It just fundamentally changed who she was in a way. Well, both literally and figuratively. That's I think that and that's kind of at the core of the movie is like what like a lot of movies. So so I mean, Bert here, number one stalker fan. Stalker is my favorite movie. Tarkovsky all day. Um, And this movie is very much. Like in that vein, it's a lot of movies will focus on that kind of existential thing um, and kind of use nature to do that. Um, but this movie very specifically is like what what makes you who you are on even a biological level, um, because that's changing all the time and your cells are constantly dying and, and reforming and and there are all kinds of stimuluses you can't even account for. So on what level are you actually who you are? Um which is really interesting because, like I said, I, I can't think of many movies that focus on the biological aspect of that. Usually it's, like, the human soul and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely think that that is part of it. But I also think a huge part of this is not... I mean, I guess existentialism is one way of describing it. But, uh, I mean, I think you you can almost take the title of the movie pretty literally it's called Annihilation and it's this sort of uh what's the best way of describing this a dissolution of self no not not even just that but it's there's I think it is kind of almost distilling down like the concept of entropy a little bit this is the the end of everything and it is unstoppable and we experience it on a very personal and intimate level in that we are feeling these characters falling apart both physically and and emotionally and mentally um but each so each of the characters has this internal sort of self-destructive tack that they're taking um whether it's natalie portman who has damaged her own relationship so seriously that it may have been the thing that killed her husband uh the the one character who has had what may be suicide attempts or or similar the one character who has had drug addiction uh jennifer jason lee's character who has cancer and is pretty hell-bent on this path of self-destruction and that she's going into the center of the maelstrom like come hell or high water there's this very like personal sense of self-destruction and then the entire point of what 
the shimmer is doing to them and to everything it touches is it takes the things that make something an individual separate entity and it turns it into part of the whole or whatever everything becomes merged with each other and so it's this very beautiful honestly like like visually beautiful translation of the concept of entropy and the inevitability that everything ends that everything faces annihilation from these individual characters on down to you know the entire universe everything you can think of um yeah everything is also blended together so technically everything also fucks well yeah so i mean that's great like you know it it all like kind of works out but you know we got we got some weird shit going on along the way yeah, I think there's I think there's a direct line between the micro and the macro in this movie. It, it it's making that very specific as like, you know, these these cells all mutate and relate to each other and and they have to die and give way to new cells and then at the same time that's that's what's happening to all the characters in the movie essentially. Mm-hmm. That's the same change they're going through. Yes. So Yeah. I I do appreciate the point Chris though. This is a very beautiful film and i think that's sometimes what makes it even more uneasy or disturbing is that there is an artfulness and and a beauty to the things that we're seeing that also are unnatural oh yeah and grotesque the the deer with the flower antlers are just like kind of lovingly rendered um and the way that they're animated is very you know i i rewound it and watched it a couple of times because it was so well done uh, it's also worth looking up, if you haven't already, to look up the bear creature um, that was done, like, the actual art. Because, like, in, in the movie, it's very dark, and you can't see just how truly off-putting it is. <laughs> um, until it's, like, until you see the actual, like, 3D rendering that the art team did. You're like, oh, that's that's much worse. Thank you. <laughs> I would say, like... So, like, I know this is a science fiction movie, but I do I do consider this a horror movie and i think it is important to like because i mean i i understand what what katie was saying by saying like there's really not jump scares and there's it's mostly like unsettling things um which i totally agree with and i i just like to make the case um on the podcast and in public that that is very much within the horror wheelhouse uh and more horror should focus on that stuff i'm kind of i you know I'm just a, stick, a stickler for that stuff. I, I I wish more horror movies did stuff like this. Um, I wish I wish more movies had dolphins with human eyes. That would be terrifying, <laughs> and I'd probably have nightmares for quite a while. And it doesn't have to like jump out at me and have a musical sting, you know. Um, I would recommend reading at least like the Annihilation book. They're not very long books, um, so but like I remember this was like one of the books that like kind of kept me up at night. Like I couldn't stop reading, but I'm like I, this is. It, it it was definitely scary in a way that I cannot put words to, and that's the whole point, um, I think, of the book, was, like, the, again, like, the, the horror of the indescribable. Um, so. Yeah, and I'm really interested in the journal aspect of it. Um, I think one of the most terrifying things in this movie is the tape scene, um, with the kind of retelling of what happened in the sense that this is just, like, a journalistic... <laughs> Like, 
retelling of what happened. Here's a video of this guy's intestines moving around, but they're not really intestines. There's some kind of weird internal alien type organism, and it's it's just it's so. It's like everything that you see, like none of it was actually alien um, in and of itself. Like everything right. was just like, oh, this is stuff that's not supposed to be there. It was lichen. It was it was it was. Um, I guess like mold. It was that like that's right. what it was. And again, like I think that's also why it's so creepy. Is like it's not entirely alien. Like this is an alien structure. Like this is clearly like not what's supposed to be happening. But you still don't actually know what where it came from. You don't know if this is like dimensional, like if this is like a different reality, if this is like, you know, that sort of thing. If it's like alien technology, you don't really know. And everything that you're you're presented with is all stuff that is like a naturally occurring analog in some regard, Um, which I think, again, like to me just is creepier um, in the sense of, but also maybe hopeful in the sense of like nature's done going to fuck you over because you done goofed it up real bad boy. Um, So it's going to reclaim all of us horrifically. Well, if you want to get into what we think actually happened at the end of the film, for yeah. me, and, and as I interpreted the Shimmer, for me what the Shimmer was, was something of alien origin that was sent to Earth, and it kind of runs whatever planet or species it encounters through this kind of like biological Shimmer to understand it, and then create a copy that can understand itself. Hence the creation of Lena and Kane, the doppelgangers at the end of the film, um, her looking upon herself was a, an expression of this shimmer itself in a way gaining sentience through interacting with humans and through that refractive process of understanding all that it can be and could be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was sentience. Sorry. Um, in the same way that nature, the way that nature reproduces is, isn't always sentient. Like that's how I got it was just like the intelligence that is like just like natural re- occurrence but it's not necessarily like directed or conscious or sentient. Yeah, um, I kind of felt like I mean I, I think that's that's quite it's, it's a probable um, interpretation of what happened. I, I think that I, I like to take away that um, maybe there there is there, there was clearly an alien presence of some sort that crashed into lighthouse, but everything else I kind of like to think of as just being like. Um, a happenstance biological interaction between that and us or our planet. Sure. Like I, I, I kind of like to think of it as um, just quote unquote natural, even though on our terms it's unnatural. Um, so to me, this was like the the most creepiest alien probe ever sent. Like that kind of idea of just like trying to understand the biological processes of life wherever it landed through this refractive process. But that's my interpretation on that. Which may not, yeah. again, be sentient, you know, to speak to your point, Katie. It may not be purpose. It might be purposeful, but not sentient, if that makes sense. Like, there may not be a consciousness driving it. But um, for me, it feels like the shimmer does change as it interacts with people, particularly Lena. I think this is, and I'm going to fuck it up. Uh <laughs> I'm not sure if y'all ever read the Tumblr blog years ago that was like Pokemans. So <laughs> some it was basically people describing to an artist who had never played Pokemon 
what Pokemon look like. So she was drawing based on like these descriptions that she heard without referencing. I think I remember this, yeah. Yeah, and then like, you know, then going back and looking at me like that was so off. I feel like this is what whatever that entity was doing was just like, you know, I think I get it. And then being like, oh, well, you know, it's like someone got kind of drunk and tried to draw something based on description rather than actually seeing or interacting with it. Yeah, I think there's kind of a meta theme about um, like how our perceptions of things are are different than they really are and and how that can change so so like i kind of feel like um something in in the alien uh coming there or the the way it's interacting with everything is just creating these sort of interpretations of things or um you know, you're just getting some kind of weird, like, communication problem <laughs> where everything is, like, I think maybe it, it might be trying to be like, oh, this is you guys, this is what you look like and how I conceive of you, and it's completely at odds with, you know, I, I just like the idea that um, there's some kind of weird breakdown between the two species that makes the, the shimmer happen. Um and it's not so much like an intentional thing. Like it's almost like a, just because the movie doesn't seem to ever, aside from a select few characters, it doesn't seem to take the tack of like, ah, the alien is trying to kill us. Um, most, most everybody is like, okay, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but it doesn't seem like actively murderous. It's just, what the fuck <laughs> no i i agree i think it's it's more to me it's more of a natural force than anything else like this is a cancer there's no ill intent there's no evil there but the things it does are horrifying and the results to the characters are you know their their stories each end at different times because of this it's it's a i don't know you can view it as this whole like visual representation of cancer, which again to me is like a a whole dealing with mortality is is an important part of this movie and the inevitability of mortality and entropy and the heat death of the universe and stuff just all feels really wrapped up in it. And there's no evil to it. There's no intent behind the fact that we are all going to die one day, but it's still horrifying. Yeah. yeah, and I think the movie explicitly makes that point with the the character that um, effectively commits suicide, quote mm-hmm. unquote, um, because you know that's kind of to me that's a statement of you know this isn't these things aren't um, good or bad they just happen and it's it's our relation to it on whether we can determine whether it's good or bad because for her that's you know that's peace. Mm-hmm. That's just what she wanted. Um, and to other characters, you know, <laughs> it's like the worst thing ever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, we attach our own interpretations of those things. I will say from, uh, I will say from a craft focus, um, one, the music from this movie is incredible. Um, and second, something I noticed about Alex Garland, and I really love um, his previous film, Ex Machina, and we're definitely going to do an episode on that at some point, I swear, because it's so fucking good. Sure. Um, 
was I love the way that he would cut from people. Um, he would cut to show the reaction of someone as the dialogue continued. So, like, as someone was telling this, like, thing, you could kind of cut to another character and see the horror. You could cut to another character and see the horror. I think that was really impactful, and I just love the way that he had that sort of continuity in the way he took you through a scene. Yeah, um, I think he likes facial acting a lot. Um, There's a lot of very, like, things that are said through not... Um, expository dialogue just sort of incidental dialogue with people you know you can tell how they feel by what they're doing or what's happening around them it's it's not so much yeah it he's he's very good at that kind of storytelling it's probably it's the same in Ex Machina mm-hmm. um, which is a great movie for sure what else has he done uh, Garland also did 28 Days Later Sunshine he did 28 uh, Days Later 28 Days and 28 Weeks, yep, Dread, um, Ex Machina, and then Annihilation was his um, uh, film that is, Ex Machina. That is a hell of an over... Like, that's that, that's tremendous. Like, holy crap. I didn't realize that he had directed all of these. From everything I've heard, all those movies are good. I still haven't seen any of the 28 movies, which we should probably add to the list because I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah, 28 um, Days Later is one of my favorite movies. 28 Weeks... I could kind of take or leave. Uh, Dread, though. Dread is really excellent. Dread is a classic. Um, Sunshine's good, too. He's only directed Ex Machina and Annihilation. He wrote 28 Days Later. Correct. Oh, okay. Ex Machina, right. okay. Ex Machina was his directorial debut. We did have a conversation before the show um, about how this guy seems to do everything. Because um, he, he writes great he directs great he did some work on video games that is apparently really good i think he worked on like devil may cry yeah the 2013 yep yep oh man yeah so he's apparently just oh he's he wrote uh this is the guy that wrote um what's the name of that book the beach the beach yeah which is was adapted into the film book yeah um i mean the film i I need to get around to watching that too, but not because I've heard it's great, just because it's something. Um, but the book was apparently really important. He's he's just a very talented guy, yeah. I guess. I, I, I don't know. This is unrelated <laughs> to anything, but I remember seeing 28 Days Later in theater when it came out and knew, knowing nothing about it. Um, and my teenage brain was like, or I guess maybe teenage early 20s brain was just like, oh, it's the first movie where I could see full frontal male nudity. <laughs> Look at that. Limp wiener. Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. He also did the you screenplay know. for Never Let Me Go, which I need to watch sometime because that book uh, kind of destroyed me. That's that's a complete, mm. you know, that, that's completely sideways from anything we're talking about. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, getting back to the music. Um, oh, yeah. Those the music is those really... guitar themes. Yeah. were They were excellent. That that was he... I, I was not expecting that. And it it's not. Not not only was I just like not expecting it, but that's not those are not the kinds of cues that you expect in this type of movie. But they really worked. They really sold it. Yeah, I had a really interesting thought both times watching this movie, which is when when the guitar themes come in, um, because I know a lot of people like them, and I play guitar and try to write stuff when I can. And when I when I listen to these these themes, I'm kind of like. These are these are really basic. Yeah, they're really like, simple. They're very, very, 
very simple guitar lines, but they're so evocative. And it was kind of it was kind of important to me because um, a lot of times I you know as in anything creative I get bogged down in like the details and and technicality of it when you can do very simple things and you know hit a lot of great points without <laughs> you know you can touch people without doing anything too crazy um so yeah i was just very interested that there's such there's such uh workman like guitar <laughs> lines but they they just do so much for the film uh katie you mentioned the the all women cast basically of the film one of the things we haven't really talked about in this discussion so far is gender as a part of the film and i feel like it's very strongly there what is what do you kind of what's your take on that it is and it isn't like you here you have like i know that they said that the think like the previous expedition had been all men um i can't again like I'm, I'm kind of confusing like what's happening in the books versus the movies so i'm sorry if i get it wrong um uh, but i know mm-hmm. that they had they kept throwing in like different combinations of things in these expeditions just to see like basically what would happen so I know that this expedition they chose to be all women, but it wasn't so much like, oh, it's because we think they'll work better. It was just sort of like a... I wonder if I wonder if the dudes were all killing the, killing each other and that was the problem. The, like, it, it, it was established that that wasn't really the case. It was more like, well, what else can we... Mm-hmm. What other factors can we control um, to maybe get a different result in this experiment that is um, this one? So... Um, I, I kind of had a feeling like if it was treated as like basically not a big deal, like it was more of like a novel, like, well, let's just see if we put all women together, if that has any better success, but it wasn't so much like, oh, well, their psychology is unique or it's special because like, they're going to be better, like, you know, team players. It wasn't so much that it was just sort of like, oh, we haven't tried this yet. Let's give it a shot. Um, but it was all like, they're still uniquely qualified experts in in important ways. So it was just sort of like a, yeah, you're going to have all these specialties and people who could bring something to the table to maybe analyze Area X or the Shimmer. Um, and yeah, it's all women, but it's not like, oh, it's because they're so special. It's just sort of a, this is a combination we haven't tried yet. Yeah, I kind of, watching this both times, I kind of felt like I had a take a, a weird takeaway where it was like, I feel like this was a feminist film, but not because of the traditional reasons it was more just because there's a cast of that's majority women and they don't really ever point it out like i mean it's just kind of like yeah they're women hey let's kill this alligator sis (laughs) (laughs) yeah or even really they don't even really broach the topic of like why is it all women it just is women why not it kind of who cares? It kind of reminded me of the descent a lot. I got similar vibes from them, like going into the darkness, kind of. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, we should probably do the descent at some point. But yeah, it was just sort of a like, oh, here, here's a, a group that, um, you know, like the the surveyor, the you know, the like all these different uh, fields to sort of bring knowledge and insight. Um, and yeah, just like so much like they happen to be women. Rather than, like, it was because, yeah, they're going to be such good, I don't know, whatever. Um, it was just really, like, yeah, like, not a big deal. Like, yeah, she's an expert in this particular type of cellular biology. It's not a big deal. It's not. Like, she's an expert in cellular biology, and it's not impressive because she's a woman. It's impressive because it's an incredibly niche field, um, more than anything. 
Yeah, and there were a few times where I was kind of concerned, like, because her, some in some points in the movie, her impetus for going and completing her arc is Kane. And it's kind of like, okay, is all of this about a man? But, but continuously throughout the movie, she has an understanding of what's going on and a need to be there because of who yes. she is. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, there's even less emphasis on her husband. Um, you know that she's married and that her husband went on an expedition um, and right, that, right. like, obviously something happened and she's curious, but, like, it's almost as though she's even more detached in the book. Like, it's almost more, like, just complete curiosity more than, like, oh, it's for my husband. Um, it was more like it's for the knowledge of itself and, like, right, right. I, I care about my husband, sure, but, like, he's kind of the side point um, rather than the main point. Um, well, that that point about side versus main point to me really makes me think of how she relates to him. Like she says, um, I, "I want to be with him," and that's sort of like a thing for her. And I feel like it's her character. It's not so much that she's motivated by a man, but that sort of like relationship and partnership for her. It's become right. part of her identity, and that's what's important. Not so much that it could be a man, it could not be. It's just the fact that this other person is a part of her. And, and that's, that's the connection that she has. That's the line I bought the least in the whole movie. Okay. Because <laughs> like I yeah, want to yeah. be with him. It was just like, we have this strained relationship. I'm having an affair. Like, I'm clearly, like, unhappy, but sort of we're in this domestic partnership together. Like, we've, we've been partners for so long. Um, I wasn't buying the whole, like, oh, I need to be with him. Other than, like, maybe that was fueled by guilt. More than anything. Right. I think that was it. I, I think that it was the guilt was a huge part of it, yeah. And we, you just don't realize it until later on. I would have believed it more if she said, I need to find out what happened to him. That would have been something a little more... Yeah, I feel like that would be true, like, truer to, like, what obviously her motivations are mm-hmm. and who she is mm-hmm. as a character. But maybe they they wanted to humanize her more um, well, by, like, showing well, the that's me like that to me speaks to the... Uh, the guilt and the to me the the affair as a cancer in and of itself in the relationship like cancer and this it was an experience that grew out of her engagement with someone else and it's this thing between them that's in the way now and it's it feels like it was killing the relationship and now it's it's been removed she wants to be i don't know i'm sitting here or was the relationship already dead? I think she felt like due to what happened, um, she effectively killed him through, like, not directly, but through what happened. And, and the uh, the leader of the, the expedition says as much, like, which kind of feels like a guilt trip at the time, but... Yeah. Let's get into that psychoanalysis. Um, like, I, uh, it maybe contributed, but, and, like, this is maybe totally projecting, but, like, if you're super happy and in love, um, you're likely not to have a self-loathing specific affair with someone that you don't right. even like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not usually something that you do. That's something, like, when shit's already kind of distant and strained. You know, and there's plenty of reasons, like, why people have affairs or go out. But, like, she doesn't even like the person she's having an affair with. So right, right. it doesn't, it's not even, like, something that's born of passion. 
Um, it seems like, in fact, the only thing she has a passion for is just learning, like, what the fuck is going on. I, I feel like I feel like if they had, like, got divorced or had a spat or something, it would be different. But I think the fact that she assumed he had died and then, like, his doppelganger effectively died in front of her is just very, like... <laughs> like a cra- much crazier result of what had happened. Um, but I do agree that like once once it comes down to it, I, I don't feel like her motivation should be I want to be with him more than um, I want to either find out what happened or come to terms, you know, like get some kind of resolution out of the whole thing as opposed to you know, I want to be together with my husband. That doesn't, I don't know how that squares with everything else in the movie. It kind of doesn't track other than like to try to humanize this character a little bit more because like if people are already having trouble identifying with a movie, that's the majority of like female characters or like women characters. Right. And she is a lady scientist. So we probably need to humanize her. Right, exactly. Like she's already like detached. Like people, they need something that makes her think that they can project or connect with. Um, And I say this like that kind of like hits a nerve for me. Like as someone like who went into like, well, I guess I didn't necessarily go into STEM originally, but like has been accused of being very detached emotionally, Um, cold and unfeeling. I believe is the term. and so, like, part of that was also, like, why I definitely saw myself a lot in this character. And that's why, like, when, oh, I want to be with him, like, immediately was like, nope. Mm, no. Yeah. Um, and it's it's annoying because I, I had no problems relating to the character up until that point. Um, like, just mainly through portrayal and, and um, I don't know, she goes through very human and understandable things and has understandable reactions to them that you can side with. I, I don't see why she needs to she needs to love a man <laughs> so bad. It's not that important. Um, well, I, I think Katie I don't think she loves them. Like, I, I agree with you that like it, right. it doesn't play. That That's an expression perhaps of her grief more than an expression of her feelings than anything else. Like, a, a guilt and grief. I wish the movie had her explicitly explain her motivation like or somebody say you're doing this out of grief as opposed to what you're saying may be true but it would be very subtextual yeah well Um, i love that though like i love that this film i walked away from it and i just had so many thoughts and so it sounds like a very dumb thing to say but like we know men don't usually think about things that are deep I appreciated this film that just left so much hanging and there to explore and talk about and think about afterwards. And it's why I really love this film and why I view it as art, you know, with a capital A, because it has that confidence to just like let some things be unexplored and to let you play in that space. Yeah, it's one of my most important things in movies in general and especially in movies I love, is um, just respect the audience enough to uh, give them the responsibility to imagine what's happening and, and understand as opposed to tell them what's happening constantly. I mean, I did just say I wish they had said explicitly what... But, 
at the same time, I, I'm just saying, like, if you're going to say that she wants to be with her husband, then I don't really agree with that unless you're going to give me the, the subtext in the movie. But, you know, uh, it's kind of there, kind of not. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate that this movie is is not uh, interested in yelling to the Dumbos in the back. Um, I, I think that's what they were kind of talking about with the test audiences. I, I feel like... Um, just as a kind of tangential example, I saw The Witch in theaters, which is one of my favorite movies, and um, I remember seeing the ending, which I loved so much, and some old dude was sitting next to me, and he turned to me and he said, uh, was that a bunch of nonsense, or was it just me? And I was like, it's just you, dude. <laughs> it's just you. You're the test audience. I think that brings us to a good um, kind of end point. What, what are y'all's closing thoughts on the film? I'll say that I loved it, and I'd highly recommend anyone to watch it. I think this is one of the sci-fi classics probably of the past 10 years that is worth you seeing um, and sitting with. Yeah. Um, was Hereditary last year? Or was that this year? Okay. So second... No, nah, it's not my second pair. It's 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 definitely in my top five or ten of last year. Um, it's, it's a really, really great movie. Um, haven't really heard anybody say much bad about it. Definitely go see it. Um, it's on Netflix. <laughs> Give it a shot. Yeah, uh, this is exactly the kind of science fiction that I, I love. Um, I mean, I'll watch a, I'll, I'll watch an Edge of Tomorrow and and really enjoy it and rewatch it. But this is the kind of movie that you watch and you, you know, that was a, a well spent two hours of my life. This is a movie that matters. This is one that's going to stick with me and I'm going to think about over and over and over again. It is exactly the kind of science fiction film that I want to see. Like, using the devices available in science fiction to explore, you know, because this has its intersection with horror, so it, it explores some of our deepest fears as humans and also takes us out of our current context in order to help us ask the question of what it means to be human in the first place and it it accomplishes those things so uh check it out stay tuned next week for gremlins no, I'm just <laughs> we just do bill and ted right i know this movie to me was, was very important it kind of hits all the, the high points that i really enjoy um like being feminist without being pandering um this sort of like slow burn of just unsettling rather than like explicitly horrific um and then uh tessa thompson so yeah she is one of all the high points yeah all the high points for me next week we'll be watching the film dark city uh where can we find you on social media uh i bert am at refreshing time uh making stupid jokes about hogs full time (laughs) boy you really only have like six hours left in your career it's always the case um i am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast that is a magic the gathering focused account and i'm at anime weed fart 69 that's not a joke i mean i am a joke but it is the handle's real (laughs) the handle's real You want me to send you the the uh, air horn wave so you can just keep putting it there? <laughs> I'm okay, thank you. Okay. 
And I'm you can find me on Twitter at a very big bear. And you can follow the cast on at Second Starcast and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're soliciting reader mail. We'd love to hear from you um, in terms of what you might want us to hear us talk about and what you would be interested in um, learning more on. So if you have questions, if you uh, want to ask the cast anything, feel free to email us at secondstarcast at gmail.com. And we'll include those reader uh, questions at our next podcast. Thank you again for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye.